0: Welcome to another episode of The Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Greg Renfrew to The Reboot Chronicles, founder and executive chair of Beauty Counter, a high-growth Certified B Corp that is on CNBC's Disruptor 50, Fast Company's Most Innovative, and Allure's Best Beauty list. The Carlyle Group recently acquired a majority stake in the company, valuing the business at probably around a billion dollars or so, but who's counting, right? Greg, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thanks. Nice to see you as well.
0: So much to talk about. Um, such an exciting time for you. you. Um, you know, you've been driving this company for almost ten years. Great growth machine. I've kind of watched it from afar, being a uh, you know startup guy myself and uh, or person, I should say these days. Who knows? Um, and now you're almost headed into this hyper growth phase with Carlyle's investment and bringing in kind of the next level CEO, Mark Ray. All this stuff going on. It's uh, to me. It's just as a serial CEO who's stepped into those roles before and help founders take it to the next level to me it's the most exciting phase for others it's always a you know very questionable phase for founders and i would just love to start out there kind of flipping the script here is like you know how did being a little bit about how did you develop it to such a scale is, is always important we'll talk about that most of the show but it just has it gone uh recently you know how did you get to the point where like hey major investor carlyle one of the best in the world um big deal kind of of people that know how to uh, do high growth uh, companies, but you could have done all types of things. You could have done, uh, you could have sold it. You could have done an IPO or a SPAC. So how did you evolve to this phase with uh, Carla?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. I think that, well, first of all, we had, we had had opportunities over the years to sell beauty counter to strategics and I I felt- uh, which was great. And we turned them down and I did so because I really felt that we had the opportunity to be the next generation leader in beauty. I mean, it's time for a new crop of companies to emerge and be the next generation leaders. So first and foremost, with my commitment to leading the clean beauty movement, a strategic didn't feel like the right uh, avenue for us at the time we made the decision to go out and um, move towards you know a liquidity event last year, but it, actually it's funny because it started uh, it started about eighteen months ago. I read Bob Iger's book, and I'm a big Bob Iger uh, fan. Uh, I read his book Ride of a uh, Lifetime, mm-hmm. and and I've told him that there's sort of two things that really greatly impacted my professional career and personal life. One was my watching An Inconvenient Truth years ago. And the second time was when I read Bob's book. And what struck me while reading that book was when he took over the leadership position at Disney and started looking at acquisition and how they could really do something bigger than just build specifically on the Disney brand. I thought this is this is really interesting and I want to control the destiny of beauty counter and counter brands, LLC, which always strives to sort of make the impossible possible. And so I felt that moving forward with a strategic, I mean, I'm sorry, with a financial investor with a financial sponsor was the right way to go. And so, you know, 18 months or so ago, I went to my board and I said, this is the path that I want to take. And I want to look for a financial sponsor that sees the value in the enterprise that we've created, but also sees the vision I have for. A future that is, you know, where all clean is clean beauty and all beauty is clean beauty, but also really believes in the power of people and community based commerce. And so Carlisle was the absolutely perfect fit. And uh, the second part of your question is, you know, how did we get to where we are and how's it going? I think that. (laughs) you know, you know not it's an easy, um, whole,
0: not an easy answer,
1: I know. No, I mean, look, it's been a long couple of years. Let's I I think anyone that doesn't, you know, that thinks that high growth businesses of at any stage are easy, not to mention that, you know, there there have been a lot of things thrown in the world over the last couple of years. But I think that I identified, I think one of my strengths at this point in time is I know where I'm strong, I know mm-hmm. where I'm weak. And I think that I have great vision. I think I can be have an infectious enthusiasm and passion for my business. I think I can be a strong leader um, and an inspirational leader. But I don't think I'm necessarily the best person to dot every I and cross every T to ruthlessly prioritize uh, strategies and to lead the organization in a very efficient way. And I think that's where bringing in Mark was an incredible opportunity for us because prior to the sale um, or the majority sale to Carlisle, we had identified a need for a really strong operator. And so was thrilled that Mark decided to join us and that he and I could really become a very formidable, you know, duo um, together using our inherent strengths and experiences to build the business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way to say it. I mean it's right out of the Carlisle playbook. I mean they they know how to do this. And Mark did a great job at Sephora and other companies and the guy, the guy gets uh, he gets scale. And when you're talking hundreds of millions and doubling and tripling and then getting to be billion dollar I'm not talking valuation from your revenue, folks. Um, It's a whole different game. So it's exciting. It's good to see. And and it allows you to really focus on what brought you here, which is usually what gets lost, especially if you're required, which is the passion and the focus around not just clean and green uh, washing, but actually taking a leadership position in the industry and showing people the path to the point where the big box guys and the big brands who still struggle with it can actually say, oh, we need to get on track here because this is a formidable player. Mm-hmm. This isn't just a niche. You know, there's a lot of indie brands out there that are doing it, but not right. scaling it. I don't think they're scaling it. I mean, we had Crato on the program before. They've got their dirty list and all that stuff. and." I think you have your own. I think yours is longer, actually. <laughs> well, we start. Yeah, we
1: were the first company that publicly published uh, our never list. We did that back never in list. that was it yes. twenty thirteen when we launched. And and yeah. um, some of the credo um, team members are people that used to work for BD Counter, and they've done a, a really nice job. But yeah, I think look, you know, to to scale. I mean, I have a very bold vision for this brand and this movement, and to be able to bring in a strong operator like Mark to work side by side with them was great. It's hard as a founder to do this. I mean, I think I would be lying if I said, it's not, it's easy to transition and give your baby over to someone else and release, you know, control to, to a large extent. But I think it's, it's a really important opportunity.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, the other reason I liked it, uh, the, your approach, this goes back a couple of years, is you were one of the few ones that said, hey, okay, we're going to start out DTC, direct-to-consumer acronyms here, but you really became one of the first true omni-channel ones, which mm-hmm. means you tried things, you took risks. you So you know, you're know you in some big box stuff. You've got 50,000 consultants. It's a whole different model. You've just got these multiple tracks to attack the market, um, the you know IRL movement. I love the new hashtag. It's like in real life. Um, you know, kind of launching physical locations, maybe not a lot, but you've never, even prior to massive funding now, you've never been afraid to try things. And I, I really admire that.
1: Well, thank you. I think that, you know, it's interesting because people have asked me why I chose the channels through which we've decided to distribute our products and, you know, how did we get here? I think for me, going back, you know, to late 2010, early 2011, when I concepted Beauty Counter, there were a couple of things that were happening. You know, first and foremost, I felt we had an important story to tell. Most Americans, even today, still have no idea that there are chemicals of concern in the products that they're putting on their bodies every day. So, I was trying to figure out, you know, how do we tell the story? I was speaking, I had a, I remember having a long conversation with Bill Guthe, who had built Guthe Ranker, talking to him about the sale of cosmetics and skincare online. And again, remember, this is 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And he was saying that it's great from, as a replenishment vehicle, e-commerce is, but it's really challenging. And it's gotten much easier, obviously, but at the time to, to match a skin tone or to help people, you know, get the texture or the scent profile of a product was really challenging. and so. In contemplating how to build the business, you know, I was meeting with a friend of mine who worked in an investment bank and she said, have you considered direct sales? To which I said, no, like, hell no. I don't know anything about direct sales. I come from retail and, you know, e-com, et cetera. But yeah. <clears throat> it was the interesting. Vision, to
0: Visions me. of MLM. Starts. Yeah. And,
1: it, you know, and I've never, yeah, and I've never had a particularly positive feeling about certain of those companies. I think that, I think that the industry at large has gotten a bad rap based on a few you know, players that, that don't operate in a great way. It's, it's too bad because I somehow we for, forgive all the financial institutions for their wrongdoing, but yet if you're seeing a group of honest people trying to build a business together, it somehow is is a bad thing because of, you know, one or two companies, you know, decades ago. But, but that aside, I thought, you know, this is really interesting. You know, our story is going to be best told person to person. We know that department store distribution of products is waning. We know that the incumbents control the shelves. And so, and we wanna create an underground movement. And so we took right out of the gate, Best in class attributes of traditional direct sales, e commerce, and retail to create a new type of direct to consumer brand that was really community based, but afforded our clients the opportunity to move between channels as they saw fit. Because we, you know, you, you know, this, you can't dictate to consumers how they shop your brand today. And so that's, you know, exactly why I started building the business in the way that I did.
0: Yeah, you're a pioneer, really. I mean, everyone is just catching on to this. What do you think? What do you think of uh, groups like Ulta and Sephora embedding themselves? in big box stores. It's it's an old, I mean, my father was like one of the inventors of the license department back in the 60s, 50s for gosh sakes, bringing other companies into stores. So it's an old model, but I'm seeing a resurgence of it, especially in beauty.
1: You know, it's interesting because you're right. You know, you saw Sephora go into JCPenney and yes, they've exited and now they've gone to Kohl's and you've got the partnership between Target and Alta. I mean, it seems to be working right now. I, you know, I don't know, my guess is, I'll probably being you know, someone probably shoot me for saying this, but my guess is that the the really big box guys, the Walmarts and the Targets, et cetera, they're trying to, you know, they're trying to go up against Amazon and trying to take control. And so partnership for them with incredible institutions like Alta and Sephora gives them a leg up. And I but I think that they're probably thinking about their own domination more than they're thinking about, you know, what this means for Ulta or Sephora. But I do think that, you know, it it does, you know, I think we're well. I think everyone knows this to be true. I think you know where you've seen Ulta and Sephora really credibly play in prestige and luxury to some extent there we are also seeing the targets and the walmarts and others being able to meld into where you know luxury and prestige is going so that that same consumer that client is shopping all of these places simultaneously it allows them to bring the brands to life in a way that is really difficult to do purely online at an Amazon. And so I think it gives them, I think it gives them an opportunity to truly compete. Uh, But I think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I also think that, you know, no matter what's happened over the course of the pandemic or with all of the improvements vis-a-vis technology i do think specifically women but many people we still like to touch and feel we want that tactile experience we want to be able to go into places and have some fun playing with makeup and skincare and so i think the,
0: all about the senses really
1: yeah so it gives you it gives you that opportunity
0: yeah yeah now i was just curious so that might be like something that you uh, would would consider because as you look at mass scale you know you've got a pretty good portfolio and how about um not to get too geeky here on sales channels um, but the, you know, you already mentioned MLM getting a bad rap for just a couple actors years ago. But how do you guys differentiate in that space? That direct selling model—is it mostly moms, or are you going? You have a lot. Do you have a lot of younger um, consultants now too, Gen Z? You know, doesn't... it's so.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting because I think just just to, to sort of debunk the myth on MLM, which people don't even, I mean, when yeah, people talk about multi-level marketing, right, it is literally the same organizational structure as you enjoy in a traditional corporation, you have you know, you have the the sort of lower, the lower, younger, typically younger ranks that, have, that are at the entry level positions. And then you move up and there's more control at the top. And I think that and remuneration typically in corporations moves up as you get towards the top of the of the organization. So I'm not exactly sure where that rap comes from, except for. There were some bad eggs back in the day, and, and there may be some today, but those that sort of are selling you a business opportunity versus selling you a product. And I think when you look at the spectrum of companies, you have those that are very focused on I'm going to pay you a commission on the sale of a product. And for Beauty Counter, you know, the way that the women who, and men, but primarily women who represent us earn an income, if they do and earn an income with us, is that they get paid a commission on the sale of products. And instead of paying that commission to a wholesale retailer, we're paying it to people. And when you build a team, you can get a small piece of that, of someone else's time, but it's a very small piece. And I think that, that is... Something I think that people get confused about how it actually all works.
0: No, and it's it's like it's the gig economy now. Again, you're ahead of the game. But are, um, in terms of audience, are you getting are you getting a younger audience? Can you get them engaged? Um, yes, more and more, I and mean, that's what I'm seeing mostly in your brand. And it's uh, and um, so it's it's just interesting. I mean, as you kind of built this out, at least over the last five years, because you got to kind of a mass scale. What what, were, what was your biggest reboot challenge that you? Uh, it's always fun to look back and laugh at, I guess, but maybe it's too close. Maybe you're not ready to look. <laughs> no. Maybe it yeah, was right. last week. Sorry. <laughs>
1: I mean, I'm going through those challenges, right? You've picked a great maybe, week to maybe, ask. Maybe it's question. right after this call. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, well, first of all, to answer your question a moment ago, yes, we have been able to attract um women and men of all ages, people of all ages. So we have some very young people. I think one again, one of the misconceptions um about uh beauty counter or direct sales is that it's like these people out there that live in this channel they are primarily digital influencers primarily micro but some macro digital influencers who are lawyers and doctors and you've gone to harvard business school and are nurses and yes stay-at-home moms and also people that just want a side gig because their professional career is paying them the bills, but isn't something that's, you know, that they're really passionate about. And so we get, I think because of our mission, because of our advocacy efforts in Washington, we're able to attract a whole bunch of people and they, amplify everything that we're doing on a corporate level. And I think that it's an incredibly, they are an incredible asset to any brand. And I think that more brands should be thinking about community-based commerce. Um, but in terms of reboot and challenges, I mean, where do I even begin? I mean, every day is like a Mount Everest of challenge. I think over the last few years, loaded, loaded you know, question. I yeah, it's mean. a loaded question. I mean, I think for me, you know, it is first of all, meeting the ever-changing needs of consumers. They, they change constantly and they're always asking you to do more and faster and better and that's really difficult especially when you've come through a pandemic where you have you know significant global supply chain issues you have um, an incredibly exhausted group of corporate associates and independent consultants who have kind of gone through this sort of great resignation but i think one of the things that's been really challenging for us is that because we're a community based organization you know all of the um, challenges that we face as a, as a nation with our focuses on the fighting on politics and religion and race and, you know, um, vaccines and all the things that have been going on. I think that's something that's been a really big, a much greater challenge for me as a leader of a brand, but I think for many brands than anyone anticipated in trying to, to stand true to, you know, to really have your position and, and, to be able to be vocal about the things you stand for without alienating large groups of people knowing that the community is important, especially for us, because our goal is to get safer, you know, beauty and skincare products into the hands of everyone. So we want to represent everyone. That to me has been a really, really hard thing to navigate over the last number of years.
0: Yeah, you've got to represent everyone in in yours, And, you know, I love the, I mean, just, I was going to go into green there for a second, but what you just said is so important. It's like in the gig economy and finding the side, roles it is so important to find something that you are passionate about so driving a lift car is not something people are actually passionate about they don't really want to sit in the car all day, they, they're making money whereas this are 20 other different products in different industries you can actually get involved in um marketing stuff that you really are passionate about and you've got some very credible things to be passionate about you know the dirty the uh, the um you know, you're never you're list. list. Yeah, your are never list. Sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. I think of Peter Pan when I say that. Um, it's uh it's amazing how you know people will gravitate toward that. So my guess is your churn rate on people is probably pretty low once they get hooked on your stuff, not customers, but your resellers.
1: Well, both actually, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, point, when yeah. I started Beauty Counter, you know, we we really built the business on what I would sort of say is this trifecta of we educate and arm people with information so that they can make more informed choices about the products that they're using on their bodies and in their homes. We, you know, we've used commerce as an engine for change. We unapologetically, you know, sell amazing, mm-hmm. you know, high performance skincare, color, cosmetic and personal care products, but we also focus on the safety of them and have a very comprehensive approach to that. And as importantly, we advocate tirelessly for cosmetic reform because we haven't updated a major federal law in the United States for 84 years. And when you put those three things together and you give an opportunity, you fill a need that someone has in their mind of what they wanna be doing um, in their career and, and allow them to participate in their democracy or be part of meaningful change. That's a very, very powerful opportunity for people. And I think most people, are seeking some purpose beyond just, of course, we all need to make money, but how do you do it and have social impact simultaneously? It's exciting for people.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Many brands have been uh, started just by reading the labels of the products that they were using. Like one example was she was reading the label, she was on the program of you know, a deodorant, and you said, you know, for some reason, deodorant shouldn't be affecting my liver. Why is this? Why is this warning on here? Um. So I love how, um, you, you know, you weren't, this wasn't like you're calling the category, it was the function of making it a safer spot. And uh, and I think, you know, kind of whatever it means, if it's you know, driving the next next level of, you know, regulation, that's, that's great. I think they've just ignored this category, but eventually that'll, that'll happen. What other trends do you see out there besides you know, To me, the, the big stakes about the word clean and green should be obliterated with something more scientific because it's like really pure formulas versus over-processed. So just learning how to scale, that's one thing. But if you look at the consumer-facing stuff, um, personalization, um, men's brands, uh, things like that, what uh, what are you excited about? What's next for you guys?
1: Well, I do think that I am. I am to. I am excited to to see someone put a standard in place that makes sense in terms of what is clean or pure to your point, because I think there's a lot yeah. of ambiguity out there and there's backlash. And I think at the end of the day, a lot of, a lot of you know, greenwashing. I, yeah, and, and there is greenwashing, and of course, and now we call. I know. I'm. You know, our team calls it cleanwashing because there is no. There are no standards, so you can say what you want. But you know, for me, and and I'm sure Carlisle will cringe as I say this, but I really meant this to be true. Which is, the world didn't need another beauty brand. It needed a move. Movement. and we created that movement and we're really excited about it. I, I think in terms of where things are going or what I'm at least seeing, one, I think within beauty and, and certainly in quote unquote clean, we're seeing a real emergence and, and, um, in sort of, I think hair and, you know, so there's so their product standpoint, you know, you see hair emerging, you see the desire for people to have products that are multi-purposed. I think people are, and certainly younger generations are increasingly aware of the need to think about sustainability. I know that seems like an incredibly obvious statement, but it it never ceases to amaze me how little people do think about sustainability. And so um, I think that you're gonna see, Um, in all products but certainly in the beauty industry a desire for less is more how do I buy a purchase something that I can use in more ways than one so multi-purpose things you know how do you personalize things I mean I do think we care about that we're trying you know that's it's it's both exciting and challenging at times. Personalization and color and things like that is easy. You know, allowing someone to personalize the scent profile of a product, or whatever, is a little bit more complicated, but I think we're gonna need to go there at some point. Um, I do think that also, you know, I'm seeing a lot of a lot of people trying to navigate how do you create you know, sort of community-based commerce, how do you allow for, you know, two-way dialogue between the companies and their the clients that they serve, but also how do you create a dialogue between the, the clients and, and create a sort of ecosystem? And I think, you know, people love or don't love Peloton. I believe that they were really, did a really good job with that type of, you know, you know, people were, Communicating with one another, not just the brand to to their clients, and I think you're going to see a lot more of that. And obviously, technology is going to play a really key role in, you know, how products are products are brought into the market and how people interact with the brands.
0: Now, Peloton's a good comparable just in terms of the technology. So, you know, Revive the sponsor of this program. It's a personalized um, recommendation engine. So you take a photo of your face, and it recommends different types of products based on your your, your all your different conditions, but also preference data. And it's primarily between the brand, a retailer, and the consumer, and having a relationship with them. But the whole peer-to-peer thing to us is probably, to, as I look at the industry, that is a incredible opportunity where brands can still inject themselves, but maybe not like control of the, uh, you know, the CRM aspect of it. To get a little geekier, because you want to, you know, you want to have a relationship with the consumers, but also let them kind of relate to each other. Recommend because
1: stuff. You know this, we, we can we listen more to our friends, you know, and within every single group of friends, there's a, an influencer. There's that there's that person that has the best style or the best recommendations or the best cook, or whatever they are, right? And, and people right. listen to them. And so I find when I'm, when I'm at a, an event with beauty counter and people are looking at products it's not us telling them what they want, it's them telling each other what works for them and what doesn't. And yeah. that's gonna yeah. play, I think an increasingly important role in commerce.
0: Yeah, big media hasn't figured that out yet. It's still the broadcast. You know, you and I've been doing internet stuff for decades. It's like we're still in that flood them with advertising mode here, which is not. Uh... How about men's brands? You got to come out some cool stuff for us
1: you know we've been we've help. been working I on things. yes i'm sure you do well first of all i think that, you know i can debunk the myth about mlms we can also debunk the myth that men, men don't care about how they look because they do you know they buy a whole lot of under eye um you know uh creams eye creams so when people say men don't care they do they do care and they and, I, and again i think when there's more also with gender fluidity and things that have been emerging over the last number of years uh-huh. in, in the forefront of things i think people are buying a lot more products but yes we you know we do currently have men's products um but we're kind of going to reboot that and um looking at you know a, a dream of mine would be to to bring to a more mass scale um some men's men's products that are genuinely clean simple multi-purposed and good for the environment so stay tuned on that we have, we do have some things that we're working on
0: I think that's a great idea i mean most of the ones out there they're kind of ma- macho marketing brands i know necessarily like the best thing for you and um
1: They're terrible. You know, they're sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, I think that I do think that men should understand this because I do think when when I started Beauty Counter and just the name Beauty, men will oftentimes turn off. But the reality (laughs) is, I'm talking about the need for cosmetic reform. We're talking about your shave cream, your deodorant, your body wash, all of the products that men are putting on their bodies every day. And, you know, there are a lot of scientists and Dr. Shana Swan, who's someone who's been an advisor to us and uh, he's good. Yeah. on this, too, is talking about how the large percentage of male sperm that is now defective. So men do need to start paying attention to what they're putting on their bodies as much as women do. It's its not a women's health issue, it's everyone's health issue and everyone should be paying attention to this.
0: Yeah, I was talking to some guys the other night and, um you know I was talking about the beauty industry, which they were talking about. By the way, your, your point about when you mentioned beauty or the word counter, they usually run away because in the they're used to like walking through Nordstrom and people spraying them, or maybe not Nordstrom for sure. I run away I, from that too. <laughs> please don't spray me. I don't want to be sprayed by any, I, I don't think That's they the worst do it anymore. Yeah. Oh, gosh, but yeah, the whole um, I said, you know, why the body wash tub is so big in your shower? They're like, no, why? I'm like, so, so they can fit all the ingredients on the back here. It's like, have you ever read this? Stuff? <laughs> I know, it's oh, crazy. Man. It's uh yeah, but it makes me smell good. Anyway, um, enough about men. Um, What else? What else you guys got cooking? What else do we have? 22, 23, 24. Where do you see the company going?
1: Well, um, I think we're hopefully moving towards world domination. But um, besides, no, I'm joking. I think that, you know, in the next no, couple of years- I, I mean joke I think,
0: about yeah, that. i definitely do that. Uh,
1: <laughs> No, I think, look, I think we have, we've barely scratched the surface of what we can achieve. We know that the things that we've authentically stood for from day one are the things that today's consumer really cares about. I think that, you know, you can expect to see us continuing to amplify our multi-channeled approach. We believe in our own stores. We believe in our community of independent consultants. We believe in, you know, you know, Wholesale partnerships from time to time, which we've enjoyed with Target and Sport and others over the years. I think international is an opportunity for us to kind of go beyond. You know, we're currently serving you know American and Canadian consumers, but we believe that the world needs to better understand what's going on out there, and that you know even in the European Union, where you have stricter regulations, they're nowhere near the the never list that we've created. And Still a small list. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's and it's you know our approach to to um, clean is very comprehensive. And I think you're also going to see us really focusing on, you know, getting to the, to the root cause and creating systemic change across our industry and really, really focusing on sustainable and new types of materials for sustainable packaging, because we know that the health of the earth is incredibly important to, to, to everyone and, and increasingly so.
0: Yeah. I love that. And you've got a little extra time to work on that, which is, which is good. Cause it's a full-time job all of that. Yeah, where, where, where I was really going with that was international. I just think it's a massive opportunity as, as, as I'm sure your board already knows.
1: But well, yes, and Mark has great experience international and he's French. So there you go. So we've already got he, he's he international, and he's built international. And I think we've always wanted to, you know, we had planned pre pandemic to, to get out of the you know, to, to go international, and then things yeah. slowed down, but we are absolutely going to hit the ground running beyond our borders.
0: Yeah, and if you look at the true global brands like Chateau and, and you know even you know este, um, it's it's just there's so many openings there to um, you know to to do your own thing and maybe even cooperate. So um, it's uh, looks like a great road ahead for you, Greg. I um, you know really want to thank you for being on the program, of course, but a lot of people listening in who are running brands and startups and divisions of companies, all types of stuff, and you've you've kind of walked them through. You know, the exit doesn't have to be the exit. It can be the next growth phase, which is fascinating. Any advice that you give them just before we go about ones that are kind of in that scale-up phase that you went through? I mean, yours was a long one.
1: Well, first of all, I I think what you said a second ago is important. You know, there are, I think people are always focusing on the end game, right? The liquidity event. And I think that's important because most companies have shareholders that expect a return on their investment. But I think that, first of all, I would say, You know, focus on the long game and how to build an incredible company that the the money and the liquidity will come. And I do think it can come in a phased approach. There's not necessarily like one Super Bowl that you're working towards. But actually, if you build an incredible organization that has a significant enterprise value and you're looking towards the long game, I think we oftentimes get so caught up in the immediate that we're not thinking about where could this organization be in one, three, five years. And you don't have all the answers, but I I do believe we should be playing the long game and making sound business decisions for that. Um, And I think that also just, um, you know, for me it's to, to, to stay the course You know, I think so often entrepreneurs and high growth companies get distracted, they get um, influenced by the last conversation that they've had, or their boards or whatever. And I think that, you know, if you stay the course and you stay true to what you set out to do in the beginning, your business will be far more successful than if you flip flop and you listen to every single person that comes along or every single trend that emerges because that may not be right for your brand. So, you know, that's what I've been trying to do is look look long-term, try to figure out, you know, how to maximize what we started, knowing that there are a lot of opportunities coming our way all the time, but trying to focus on on the end game, which is to change the world and get safer products into people's hands.
0: I love that. For a minute there, I thought you were talking about me and all the mistakes I've made. So- <laughs> well, I've made a lot too.
1: Let me tell you, I'm a good day is when I don't make the same mistake twice. <laughs>
0: yeah I'll take it in a week at least well thanks Greg I really appreciate it you've been listening to Greg Renfrew who is the founder and now executive chair of Beauty County this is Dean DeBias with the Reboot Chronicles we really want to thank you for joining us today and we'll see you soon
1: thank you so much
0: yeah take care